The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of yet another week, ladies and gentlemen. It would seem that the government has now completely dismantled the lockdown. Yesterday, Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden more or less threw open the doors of the country and issued instructions for everyone to go out and spend money, get organised for a holiday and generally rescue the economy. At one point, he was actually recommending that what you should really do is go out and buy a sofa. I'm not quite sure what the point of that is, but there we are. It seems that gyms, nail bars, hairdressers, restaurants, pubs and basically everything else you can think of are all open for business. We appear to have stopped talking about the virus that caused the lockdown and instead we are now all about getting out and about. And I have to say, I was out and about last night and I'll be telling you about that later on with uh, Kevin O'Sullivan who's going to be joining me. He also joined me for dinner last night and it was a fantastic event. It was absolutely glorious, beautiful, fantastic. You know, the idea of actually being out in the dark was so thrilling that I'm not sure I'm going to recover from it until possibly tomorrow. We'll be testing the temperature of the nation this morning with former Labour MP Kate Howey, and I'll also be asking her about the latest BBC scandal, which is not just that they are considering axing politics live with Andrew Neil, one of the few broadcasters who is actually neutral and without any bias whatsoever. It's not just that they are considering the use of trans-friendly pronouns, according to the front page of the Times today, but that they are definitely bringing back the licence fee charge for the over 75s, which I think is a complete and utter disgrace. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll get the latest on the cancer culture for, from Esther Kraku, uh, one of the most sensible conservative voices there is out there. Uh, and we're going to be hearing from her on Talk Radio because this is where you want to hear sensible conversation. And we'll be hearing from Kevin O'Sullivan ahead of his big weekend shows. 0344 499 1000. It's Friday, so there's yet another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards with Marta Malagon, uh, who managed to survive last night's endeavours uh, out in Kensington. Plus, our homeschooling section is all about the hurricanes. And just for good measure, we'll be checking in with Royal Expert Charles Ray for the latest from Hollywood and Megan. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, as ever, let me remind you that we are live streaming this show on YouTube so you can go and watch us as well as listening to us, which is a thing of great beauty. Uh, it's the thing that more and more people are doing. And can I just say welcome to all of you new listeners, people who have finally realised that some other uh, alternative, shall we say, radio stations are just not cutting the mustard. They're full of people who fill you with doom and gloom. They fill you uh, with sort of, you know, bad feelings instead of good feelings. They make you feel as though you're doing something wrong. They make you feel as though there's something wrong with the country. Well, let me tell you this. There is nothing wrong with Great Britain. There is nothing wrong with the way that we run it. There is nothing wrong uh, that we cannot put right. Of course, we may disagree about one or two things, but at the end of the day, I'm very proud to be here. I'm very proud to be running uh, a show called The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I'm very proud that we're the fastest growing radio station on the planet, and I'm very proud, actually, of what our government is doing. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Kate Hoey, a former Labour MP, of course, for Vauxhall, uh, now residing uh, in her home of Northern Ireland. Kate, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Good now, listen, morning. my pleasure to talk to you. You know, it's always nice to talk to you. Whenever we think about who should we talk to on a Friday to kind of sum up <laughs> where we are, the state of the nation, your name always comes up um, because it's been another interesting week, hasn't it? Well, we've had uh, the announcements, obviously, from uh, the Chancellor, which will have boosted uh, a lot of people, particularly in the hospitality industry and all those yeah. people who like to go out and have a have a meal. Did you get your 50% off last night? No, it hadn't started. Uh, well, it? apparently, no, it hadn't started. In fact, by the time I paid the bill, to be honest, you might as well have given me any sort of bill you liked yeah. because I wasn't entirely compus mentis by that stage. I just paid it. <laughs> I was just happy that my, my friend Kevin O'Sullivan picked up the other half of it. Oh, that was good. Well, no, well, so, so that was that was something, and I think it was a it was a kind of morale boost. Uh, even though now, of course, there are lots of people complaining that other things didn't get help and other support wasn't given. Uh, clearly, we still also had the, the you know the announcement of the job losses in the um, retail industry. Yes. But you know, some of that was happening before COVID because so many people now buy online and of course during the um, the, the pandemic there's been a lot more people buying yes. online well do you know also I, I didn't well I didn't actually know until I heard it on on talk radio I think this morning or, or late yesterday is that you get more protection as a consumer online now as well which which kind of feeds into why people now spend more money online without actually having to go to a shop 
Yes, I, I think you do that. There's the, the, the insurance covered depending how you pay. But what I don't really under, haven't really worked out is when I mean presumably more people buying online also provides jobs because they have to find whatever they're being ordered and have to be sent off and parceled up. So, but definitely in terms of just people going out and shopping, and I think I think it's I find it sad more from the point of view that you know I still do think that there's a, a role for really good niche market small shops mm. and we're losing an awful lot of those although during the pandemic i think more people did shop locally and that that's probably helped them so but also in the hospitality industry i mean really there were so many cafes and 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 places to just go in and have a cup of coffee that some of those that are thinking of and i think there's been some job losses there too um you know that was that was again we were almost over over coffee <laughs> over coffee shops yes, in certain I think in so. certain places so that and then then we've had an, an interesting um uh, uh, well uh, not an interesting but uh, uh, the announcement from the BBC which I think for me was the most hugely negative thing that happened this week the idea that the BBC could dare to say that they were going to um stop giving over 75 yes. uh, free license I mean it was pretty bad timing from their point of view as well wasn't it well, I said, you see, they had they had put it off. It should have happened already, and then they put it off to August. And I suppose they felt they had to give it was getting near August, and they had to make a decision. But um, I think what it's done, adding to all the other criticisms of the BBC, of which I'm afraid I'm uh, one of those people who spend a lot of time criticising it, then um, it's, it's added to the whole campaign now to first of all get decriminalising the, the legislation to get decriminalising the idea that if you don't pay your television license you're a criminal right. uh, where you know it shouldn't be and that that government has has committed to doing that and i think now this has given oliver dyden uh, a good reason to actually bring the legislation in very very quickly get it through in a day because i don't think there'll be much opposition from it uh, in terms of decriminalizing get that through and then let's get a proper debate in the country about why if you only watch itv or you've you've you pay to watch uh, sky or any of the other um, channels that you, you don't... Why do you still have to pay a licence if you don't watch the BBC? Well, exactly. And I and I actually very firmly believe, Kate, and you know me, I mean, I'm not against journalism, I'm not against people that I disagree with, but so much of what the BBC does is what I would regard surplus to requirements. And I think there has to be an option, surely, for the consumer now in this day and age to just switch it off and say, look, I don't want to pay the BBC, I don't want to watch the BBC, I don't want to listen to any of it, I don't want to look at their websites... Just, you know, block me from it if you wish to. But I wish to opt out of the licence fee. Absolutely. And and I think that that is becoming an argument that is just not going to be able to be uh, opposed eventually because so many people now are watching other, right. listening to other channels. And why should the BBC get Because also they have extended... I, I, I think what they do and some of the overseas, uh, the BBC World Service probably could still be protected, but some of that could come from different, um, different ways. It's yeah. just the idea that, that the only feeling is if you no matter what you want to watch or listen to you have to pay a license fee to the bbc yeah it's just i think well how about i mean for example have, i mean there's so many ideas that you if you and i were sitting down to have lunch we could probably come up with a million ideas for the bbc for example if you wanted to continue with the world service which i i believe to be very good and very helpful and very informative why not make it part of the foreign aid budget and get the foreign well, aid budget to pay for it exactly it's part of our sort of soft diplomacy yeah, exactly. the world, soft power as we call it um, th- that you know people can get to listen to that and, th- and that's important but we've done we're trying to I mean the BBC is trying to compete with uh, the private sector in terms of uh, all the other kind of channels and music stuff that they do and that is that is not their job I mean that to me is something that should there should be a basic service that the BBC offers uh, but also, I think the over 75 thing, this idea that somehow if you're, you know, in receipt of, of um, um, benefit, then you will get it, uh, um, get it free. You know, that's so unfair on so many older people. I, I know so many older people who are so proud and so 
determined that they would never want to claim anything, right. and they they just don't do it. And often, you know, it's that generation that's very very proud, and a lot of them will not do it, and they will be left in situation. Are we going to see people coming along, knocking on their door, harassing them, right. and then the police being involved? It's just just ridiculous. And also, Absolutely. many of those people you're referring to would never dream in a million years of breaking the law, and they see themselves as breaking the law if they don't buy a TV license, and that's totally wrong in my view. Well, they are breaking, officially, they are breaking yeah. the law. And um, I know there's been a lot of people uh, now saying that they have, you know, sent off saying they're not they're not paying it anymore. It will be interesting to see, and clearly, if, if millions of people decided not to pay, it would be absolutely impossible. Yeah. Well, listen, I, ha- I have a lot of listeners who tell me on, on social media that they've stopped buying a licence and they don't get bothered at all. They don't get hassled. They don't get uh, uh, people visiting them. They, they just they just don't bother paying for it and haven't done for yes. several years. Yes, and I, I think that's going to grow and grow and that's why the government needs to get that legislation mm. through instant, immediately. But also, we do need... You know, the next licence, the next um, change isn't coming, I think, to twenty. 27 i think we need to have something changed a yeah. long time before that because, no i agree uh, because also i mean so much of what they do is surplus to requirements as i say i mean they don't need to be doing strictly come dancing they don't need to be producing all these kind of you know lavish uh, period dramas because all of that can now be done by independent companies and quite often is done by independent companies and then the bbc are paying to the independent company to do it for them and it seems to me that that's not what they're for no, they have, they have, that's part of their sort of idea that they should be doing everything. And, of course, then people who just want to watch, you know, say something to get Netflix and pay for that and watch, for, watch films that have mm. been made there still are paying a licence fee just because you have a television. And, how, you know, why can, why can you not have a television and simply watch what you want to yes. watch rather than having to automatically pay it. Well, let's no, face I it. I mean, they brought in the licence fee in order to fund an organisation which the like of which has never been seen before. And it's we're not in that world anymore. I mean, you know, we wouldn't times any... Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. times have changed. We wouldn't sit around doing anything else like we used to do in the 40s and 50s. You know, it's 2020, for God's sake. And even radio. I mean, even radio, which uh, some of the radio is, is, is better than television, but even radio, they're trying to do so much and there's so many you know and yet they're trying to make cuts now to regional radio which is about the only bit of radio that a lot of people listen to well that's Um, true but they do have you do know that they have 62 separate local radio stations which to me again is ridiculous i mean all very well having uh, bbc ulster uh, but you don't really need bbc sussex bbc surrey and bbc kent three different uh, counties in very close proximity to one another with three completely separate staffs uh, yes, and three different personnel, yeah. know, three everybody. Get, and then, of course, we need to raise the whole issue of, of salaries. By the way, I've just been blocked by Gary Lineker. I well think done. Because, um, I think it's because I criticised some stage. Mind you, I don't, I only just discovered it, apparently. It was done some time ago when ah. I was criticising him over... Um, over his salary. Uh, I do think the BBC needs to look at the salaries. And if they're saying that they can't get these people because they'll go somewhere else if we, they don't pay they the won't. salary, well, I would say let them go somewhere else and bring on some new talent. Yeah, exactly right. And also, you know, Gary Lineker, who's very thin-skinned, he blocked me some years ago because I asked him what, oh, he was, he? what he was doing with the money he was making from Walker's Crisps while telling everyone <laughs> to live a, a healthy life uh, and being in the pay <laughs> of a, of a snacking, <laughs> snacking company. Uh, and that was the end of that beautiful relationship. But, you know, I found myself oh. once, Kate, at... Uh, Piers Morgan's Christmas party, surrounded by three people, uh, all of whom had blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> but there we and are. Did they speak to you? They, they yes. Oh, yeah, they did, because yeah. I think yeah. they didn't yeah. even know for sure, you know, exactly Whether why they... they had blocked me. Well, I mean, Gary Lineker, I think, has blocked half the world, you know. But yeah. that's the word. I mean, I'm looking this morning, for example, and this is where the BBC drives you insane, just when you thought they couldn't get any more ridiculous. Apparently, uh, the new BBC director general... Um, is looking at uh, uh, whether or not they should use more trans-friendly pronouns. And I never quite understood this, but on Twitter you see people who go he, him, or she, her. Uh, apparently that denotes that you are in favour uh, of basically identifying yourself as male or female. I mean, I tend to think people will probably figure out that I'm male by looking at my picture. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh because it is actually serious yeah. the way now we are being pushed and pushed and programmed into behaving in a certain way and if you don't fit there don't do what they being the uh, people who make these decisions what they want then you're you're ostracized and and uh, you know in some cases people have even been been sacked but uh, no i i um 
I, you know, I'm, people say it's just a generation thing, and it's because you're getting older and all that. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think there's. I think there's. A, you know, I'm sure we will see now. I hope we will see a generation of young people coming on and actually rebelling against a lot of this. Yes. Uh, you know, laws and regimes and saying, trying to... Well, it's nothing, it's nothing short of totalitarianism, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a sort of culture war that we that is now being waged upon us. And listen, there's nothing wrong, as far as I'm concerned, with treating everybody equally. Of course we should treat everybody equally, but that should be common sense and it should be, you know, absolutely, you know, sort of normal to think that way. And, and I'm not for, uh, you know, but, but they're trying to make out, basically, if you don't use these words, that you're somehow um, against democracy yeah. or you're against trans people or you're against gay people or you're against black people. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is. And, and it's, we've just seen such a lot of that in the last in the last year, particularly in the last few months. And um, I think I think the important thing is that everybody just speaks out about it and refuses to go along with it. And yeah. eventually, um, you know, eventually there was. It'll have to. It'll have to change. But I, I, I find some of it quite laughable. But mm. I know you know you shouldn't really laugh because it is serious. Right. Let me ask you a question about the Labour Party, Kate. Because a lot of people, oh, we had John you. Rental. Uh, I know it's your favourite subject. We had John Rental on the other day saying that he really thinks that Keir Starmer is kind of harking back in a way to the uh, golden days of, of Tony Blair. And I know that not everybody's a, a fan of Tony Blair. But do you mm. see any of that sort of centralism no, returning? I, 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 well, I see him much more sort of moulding himself in the in the in the kind of Ed Miliband um, yes you know I, I compare him to Ed, Ed Miliband quite a lot mm. um, I think he um, I had hoped that he would really begin to be more um, willing to speak out against some of this sort of things that Labour has automatically said they've opposed or they want to stop. Uh, but it, that seems to have sort of changed. And uh, I, 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 don't, I didn't hear that interview with John Rental, but I mean, I can't really see him as being in any way compared to, to Tony Blair. Because I mean, the one thing Tony Blair had, which whatever you thought of what he did, he had charisma. And I don't actually think Keir Starmer has charisma. He, de- he definitely does not have charisma. I find him to be incredibly tedious. Um, I, I find it quite remarkable that people think he's clever, because he doesn't come across that way to me at well, all. Because he's a lawyer, you see. I mean, the House of Commons lets members full of lawyers, either solicitors or barristers. It's a sort of almost idea that if you want to be an MP, you've got to go and go to a university, get a law degree, yeah. become a lawyer, and then go off and become an MP. And, and I think there is a lot of that, that in Keir Starmer and of He's had a whole career in in, yes. in the legal profession, uh, which is why the prime minister seems to be uh, having a little bit of a joke every now and again. Well, I love it when he goes, "Your witness," you know, in the middle of prime minister's <laughs> questions, or you know, um, you know, uh, is it, yes, it's, oh, your, it's, your brief changing your brief yes. uh, every now and again because, mm. of course, barristers do have to um, support whoever they're. Um, Right. And also, for. wasn't it wasn't it very um, sort of uh, revealing, I suppose, this week when poor old Annalisa Dodds, uh, who was up against Rishi Sunak, just doesn't look as if she's in the same stadium, never mind in the same kind of uh, arena, if you like. You know, she just doesn't have it to fight off yeah, what somebody what somebody like him has. It's a particularly difficult brief that when you're coming in to poll, you know, to speak about uh, a budget. It wasn't the budget, but it was a, a semi-budget. Mm. And it was, it's particularly difficult because you don't get much time to prepare. But it did seem as if she hadn't really listened to what he actually said and had come out, you know, with a, a speech that would have almost fitted whatever he had announced or said. But I think I think Rishi Sunak, and I, I really genuinely, I couldn't understand why people were so snooty about the fact that he went off to a restaurant. In fact, he went off to a restaurant in my constituency, mm. my former constituency, and then, I, you know, became a, a waiter. And there were all these snidey people saying, oh, you know, he, he's obviously never been in a, you know, done anything like that before, when actually, apparently, he... He did work um, in Southampton as, right. a, as a waiter at some stage. So, yeah, but I mean, this, uh, I this is, I mean, the, unfortunately, the Labour Party and the left have become this kind of whiny, you know, um, sort of companion that you have to, it's almost like sitting with somebody on a, on a long plane journey that you don't really want to talk to who just keeps talking to you. And it's like, just shut up. You know, you're not relevant. You've got nothing good to say. Uh, so just keep your mouth shut. Until the Labour Party starts to realise or starts to believe in our country and believe that it actually is a great country, no matter whatever our problems are and whatever the recession is, we're still a great country. We're going to get out of all of that. And until they start believing that and saying that, they haven't got a chance of winning back the votes that they lost at the last election. Um, even, even, you know, if they 
accept the idea that we are out of the EU and that's going to happen and that will be that is happening um they still there is this feeling that every that they don't believe that they live in a country that is a great country and no. you just wonder why so many of them have that sort of negativity. I know. And which, it's quite... which I have to say, Tony Blair didn't have when he... Not at all, no. No, in fact, no. when Tony Blair came in, he was the, the, the proverbial breath of fresh air because we had 13 years of ghastly boring grey John Major and the Tories, you know. So, so you know, listen, Tony Blair was, 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 in my view, a great Prime Minister. Not everybody agrees with that. But listen, Kate, thank you so much. We've got to run because we're running slightly late. What a joy to speak to Kate Hoey, a very sensible woman, about things like the BBC. Even as we speak, people are actually... Uh, giving up their licences and failing to pay for them and just resigning from the BBC. I'm going to start this now. I'm going to say it. Boycott the BBC. Stop paying for it. They don't deserve your money. They're doing things with it that you don't want them to do. Uh, and if it was a shop, we would put them out of business. It's that simple. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock, of course. Mark Dolan will be in uh, at four o'clock with the Drive Time Show. Yesterday afternoon, uh, we were treated to Oliver Downey uh, and his... Um, um, uh, his new kind of mantra about going out, spending money, reworking the economy, rejuvenating the economy. At one point, he actually said we should be all going out to buy a sofa, uh, which I thought, I'm not going to take that too literally, although I do need a new sofa, so I might actually go out and buy one. But what I did do last night was go out and stimulate uh, the economy of uh, Kensington High Street uh, by spending and dropping quite a lot of money uh, over the course of a few hours of imbibing in one of the greatest restaurants I've ever been to. Uh, and I'm happy to say that James Chiaverini uh, was one of the great hosts last night. He runs a place called Il Portico, and I'm not giving him a free advert because I went there, the food was fantastic, um, and the wine was brilliant, and it was just marvellous. And it was so great just to be out and about. And we're going to talk about food now with Tam Fry, who is chair of the National Obesity Forum, because, of course, uh, we've seen Boris Johnson uh, losing a bit of weight after his brush with death, after he went into hospital because he uh, contracted coronavirus. But he's now on a kind of crusade to basically make the UK less obese and this is why we're opening the gyms of this country we're opening the swimming pools of this country but there's also a story in the times today uh, in which it says that the prime minister uh, is going to be putting a ban on supermarket promotions of unhealthy food let's talk to tam and find out if he supports this tam very good morning to you good morning to you thank you very much for joining us um is this is this the right way to approach these matters i mean do we really need to have government intervention on our eating habits I think we do. We've had uh, 25 years of government telling us or advising us what to eat and we haven't paid any attention mm. to it. And obesity is getting worse and worse and worse. And the time has come for draconian and quite drastic en action. And I think that uh, banning the uh, uh, junk food promotions in supermarkets is a good idea. What is so ridiculous is that only yesterday, and you've been referring to your excellent meal in South Kensington, yeah. uh, that only yesterday we had the government advising people to eat junk. So there is a huge concern of mixed messages mm. in my mind. Yes. Well, one of the things that they opened first... Uh, when we sort of started to come out of lockdown, was the fast food takeaways, you know, like McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, yep. you know, you know as well as I do, Tam, I mean, every single town in this country um, is littered, not just with shops that sell that kind of food, but kebab shops, fish and chip shops. I mean, it's a kind of national pastime, isn't it, eating junk food? Well, I'm afraid it is. And, and the, inter the, the pastime is leading to us uh, uh, piling on the pounds. Uh, and you made quite rightly the point that the more you put on, in the unfortunate circumstance that you should contract COVID-19, it actually increases your chances of uh, death by, mm. by, by a factor of two. Yes, indeed. But don't you find it slightly uh, sort of hypocritical where we've got Boris Johnson who calls himself a libertarian and has been very careful not to kind of issue too many actual instructions to the public during this pandemic, more kind of guidelines and more kind of nudge politics, to be suddenly coming out and saying, we're going to ban this, we're going to ban that, you know, we're going to make it impossible for you to do what you enjoy doing. Yes, it is. And, and, and it confuses the public no end. Mm. And uh, if, if, jo if Johnson is serious about his war on fat, as I believe he is because of his own personal experiences in St. Thomas's Hospital, yeah. he's, 
going to have to get his strategy sorted out because confusion reigns and where there is confusion you get no progress whatsoever. No, quite. And why do you think it is, Tam, that we in particular in Europe suffer from this obesity problem where other countries do not? I think it goes back a long way that the British has always had uh, its own style of cuisine, if you will, Mm. and fish and chips and uh, all the uh, stuff uh, full of fat and sugar and salt uh, has been part of our way of life for decades. And that's going to take a hell of a shove Mm. to, to, to get rid of it. What I would like to see, and um, what I had suggested yesterday as a result of Mr. Sunak's uh, scheme, was that uh, we should make sure that the food that is on offer, whether it be in restaurant or in the supermarket, is as healthy as it can be. And that means removing the excess fat, salt, and sugar, which is laced into this food, which is a major contributor to obesity. Yes, indeed. And also, I mean, I think some of the food manufacturers themselves, when we talk about supermarkets, have some responsibility here. Because, I mean, when I was younger, uh, I grew up sort of more or less in the 60s and 70s. Um, There wasn't the variety of food that's available now. There wasn't the numbers of bars of chocolate, you know, the numbers of different kinds of Kit Kat that you can now get, or Aero, or, you know, the fact that you can buy these little grab bags of of bite-sized, you know, flakes and stuff like that. There's so much going on. If you just go into an ordinary um, petrol station to pay for your petrol, you're literally sort of walking past these, you know, gazillions of of temptations. And I'm not particularly prone to, to, to being tempted by them, but I imagine many people are. Yes, and of course, success brings success. Mm. And people who uh, see uh, corner shops and uh, uh, service stations make a lot of money out of these quite cheap but um, uh, very delicious uh, products say, well, I want a bit of that and I'll open one too. Mm. And so it goes on and on. Forty percent of the food that we buy comes from these bog-offs. Yeah. And that is just a, a, an enormous figure. It is. And the other thing I would mention is that, you know, again, I'm not a massive fan of fish and chips. I do like the odd portion of it. But, you know, again, when I was when I was a teenager, you'd get one piece of fish and some chips. Now you get the sort of, whole, you know, massive amount of fish and a massive amount of chips. And they charge sort of eight quid for it in some places. It's really quite expensive. Um, but it's the, it's the size of the portions, I think, that, that we also need to look at, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the measures that need to be put in, and uh, there are about 48 of them, certainly address portion size as well. And I, uh, yesterday was being uh, interviewed on pizza. And pizza, uh, which is a thousand I calories, do like a pizza. should be a thing of the past. Uh, pizzas really should be no more than about 400, 450 calories, right. which is quite sufficient for everybody. But how but, do you make that happen? You, you tell, uh, and it requires legislation of a sort, you tell food manufacturers that they can produce this food if they want to, mm. but they've got to produce it in a manageable size. Are you that, talking about the stuff you tend to buy in a shop rather than the actual delivered pizza? Yeah. Yeah, OK. And, and, and I mean, people, if they feel that the need, can buy two pizzas if they want to eat a thousand calories. Yeah. But after a time, I'm sure that they would uh, start to understand, because they would be losing weight for a start, that one pizza is uh, sufficient. Right. And, and uh, together with that, we need to sort out the uh, advice of how many calories per meal you should be consuming. Mm. Because, in fact, we are, we're consuming far more than we really need, and the official figures are out of, uh, out of all sight. I mean, they are, they are so high, and people say, well, actually, I'm a man and I can eat 2,500. Yeah. Well, by the time they finish their meal, and if it includes uh, uh, alcohol as yeah. well, you're up to 3,000 calories. Mm. Well, you need to be an Olympic swimmer if you're going to exist on that kind of stuff. Yes, no, quite. And I mean, I'm, I've, I've always been something of a libertarian, but I'm beginning to, to think that, that, that guys like yourself, Tam, are uh, talking the right talk if we are to kind of um, somehow reduce the, the, the excess weight in the nation because there just is too much food out there. And some of the stuff that, 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 that is innovative, as we are told, you know, for example, pizza, which has got, you know, hamburgers sewn into the crust or, or it's got a hot dog sewn into the crust. I mean, it's totally unnecessary. Absolutely. 
and but it, it because it sells because it is relatively cheap to manufacture and because it is uh, garnished if you will with really tasty fat salt and sugar people fall for it and and there is no stop so at some stage somebody's got to step in and say enough is enough because you have to remember that the obesity epidemic can turn itself into a pandemic and by 2050 and the government have accepted these figures we will have something like 50 billion pounds a year of our money being spent on cleaning up a problem which is entirely preventable. No, indeed. Tam, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Tam Fry there from the National Obesity Forum. I have to say, you know, if you'd asked me this question about, I don't know, five years ago, I would have virulently argued against the idea that you ban things from supermarkets, that you ban certain types of food from being manufactured. But I'm afraid we are now in that place where actually people are so stupid that they buy things and eat things which they don't really need to, to, to buy or eat. And I'm afraid uh, it's all very well having freedom of choice. But I think if it's going to end up being something which is going to be uh, detrimental to your health, um, and if the government wishes to do so, then I'm quite happy with them banning buy one, get one free. I'm quite happy. I mean, I would never, ever in a million years think about eating a pizza with hot dog in the crust. I don't know, I mean, that should be, you should be going to prison for that, to be honest. I mean, it's so horrible and disgusting that I don't even want to think about it. I really don't. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. There's lots going on today. We've got lots to talk about. We're going to talk about Meghan and Harry coming up in a little while with Charles Ray, former royal editor of The Sun. Do you know that she's somehow managed to register herself as a doctor? I don't know what she's a doctor of but I'm pretty sure it's not a medical doctor. Uh, maybe she's uh, got some kind of secret skill that we don't know about. We'll find out uh, from Charlie what's going on. And apparently Archie doesn't have any friends. Well, takes after his dad then. Uh, let's talk to Peter in Palmer's Green. Hello, Peter. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. What can I do for you? Yeah, I'm just interested in listening to the obesity debate that's yeah. been going on for, I don't know, 20, 30 years now. Yeah. Um, I think you have to look at people who've got to take responsibility for themselves. I mean, have you ever been to a supermarket and a cake jumped off the shelf and jumped down your throat? <laughs> well, yeah, but the trouble is, Peter, I, I take that argument uh, and I buy it and I, and I believe that you're yeah. right. But unfortunately, some people seemingly can't handle responsibility well, for themselves. Well, well, that's it. I mean, I mean, and you have to look at yourself as well. I mean, how, you know, how would you rate your own level of fitness and, 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 and your own weight management? Yeah. I mean, the point, you know, there comes a point where you have to take responsibility for yourself. And then if you won't take it for yourself, then you have to, like, if, if you drive a car, you've got a pack to insure it and it, it costs you. Yeah. If you get on a plane, or, or you get on a plane with someone twice the size of you, yeah. it, 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 it costs money to, to transport you, doesn't it? It does. But I'm, I guess, I, I suppose when we talk, I mean, I, I suppose when we talk about people who are obese, I would, I would say we're talking about people who are so obese that they are yeah. medically... Um, in danger, right? That's a very extreme end, but a lot of people are, are what you almost... We've, we've normalised it now. Yeah, but I don't have a problem with, with, with people being overweight at all, Peter. That's really none of my business, and I don't think it should be the government's business. But if you've got people who are consistently taking up the time of the NHS because they are so unwell due to their own self-indulgence, I think that's a problem. Yeah, that, that, but what I'm saying to you, though, is... You know, it, it, you don't have to be morbidly obese to, to, to have health problems. It, it starts as soon as your waist gets above 36 inches from that. As soon as your BMI starts going up, you are increasing your risk of obesity. Yeah, no, but that's but that's a different no, that's a different no, but that's a different argument, Peter. Increasing your risk. Hang on, increasing your risk is one thing. Having to go to hospital because you're so fat and having having to be treated by doctors is another thing. That isn't what the guy was talking about when you said that. Well, that's what I'm talking about, though. Well, 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 well you interviewed the doctor who talked about it. Generally, people's health is getting worse. Their visit is going... It's not all about morbid obese people, you know, causing... Well it, well, it depends, Peter, what you're trying to solve here, doesn't it? I mean, I don't particularly want the government interfering in people's lives no, when no, they don't no, need no, to. No, no, what I'm saying is, I, I don't think, you know, you do you. If you, if you want to eat and drink and, you know, be married. But, but then you have to pay for that as well. It costs something, doesn't it? People, well, you know, well yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, you but, but you're, you're still not really seeing my point. I'm talking about the people who are taking up valuable time in doctor's yeah, surgeries and in hospitals. Yeah. Yeah, but eventually those people will down the line, right? Okay, so they're not more than their now, but over their lifetime, 
they've got a higher increased chance of heart problems, higher increased chance yeah. of diabetes. No, but these are people, they're, they're also being operated on. They're having their stomachs stapled. They're having, you know, pipes put in them. No, but what I'm saying, it's not the morbidity. A lot of those people who have gone to coronavirus are not morbidity. They're somewhat over. Right. So what, so what is your point, Peter? My point is, first of all, I think people can take some responsibility financially. Yeah, but they're not, are they? That's the point. They're not yeah, doing that. That's what, well, well, that's what you have to do, then. Like, well, how do you make that happen? Okay, so, so, so if you're morbidity... You go to your doctor, we all pay our taxes, we all pay, you know, we all pay for the NHS. So if you're costing the NHS more because of, you know, a bit like a health like insurance, like a health insurance thing, mm-hmm. okay, so if, if you sign up, you say you're a smoker, you're obese, your insurance costs more, but then maybe you've got to pay a little bit more risk. But what if you haven't got the money? Well, that, you know, that's good, but, you know, what are you going to start them? locking them up? What am I saying? Locking, they're not locking up. That's, 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 that's That'll lose them a bit of weight. They've got the money to buy the food. You know, and, and they're also doing it for their children as well, aren't they? That's so the problem. If you see if you see an obese parent, normally they've got obese kids. Peter, listen, thanks very much indeed. Let's talk to Richard, who's in Manchester. Hello, Richard. Oh, good morning, sir. Thank good you morning. for having me on your show. Not at all. I haven't spoken to you for a while. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing good, thanks. How are you doing? It sounded as though you had a good night last night. Oh, it was uh, tremendous. Literally that's, tremendous. That's what it's all about. And <laughs> I, I pick up on uh, Kate Hoey. Uh, yes. As you know, I, I, I love her. She's absolutely fantastic. If she if she was to come back, the Commons would change again. I think. Oh, I think so. Yeah. A lot of common sense, mm. but it's about this BBC thing, Mike. Yeah. Um, you know, Gary Lineker. Um, I don't watch BBC anymore. Do you know why? Because of him. He's got such a dare I say it, a big head, and he thinks all these people are following him on Twitter, mm. and really they're not. They're mocking him. He thinks that he's running this country like Tony Blair, and I, and I just get amazed at the people who comment about him when I'm out and about, and they say, did you hear that Lineker last night? And I say, yeah, and I, I think if all of us got together, here's a great idea for you, Mike, right. and BBC, we got for want of a better term, rid of them, and, and got your your uh, company, uh, Talk Radio, yes. talking common sense for the last four years and saving democracy in this country. Exactly right. Which the BBC never did, and I defy any of them. Well, they tried, they tried to halt democracy, didn't they? They flipping well did, Mike, and there was nobody. I had sleepless nights over that, mm. and people coming on. They were using the BBC as an advertising agent for what they were doing. Exactly. We got on, when the, the Leavers got on, when the Brexiteers got on, wow, we were given about a minute and a half. Oh, I know. And also, every Brexiteer was made out to look as if they were sort of stupid, racist, you know, nasty, and all the negative things that, that the BBC would say about people, they would try and kind of paint on people who wanted Brexit. It was ridiculous. I told you about myself being a, a, a Labour man all those years and voting for Blair mm. and, and coming on and finding out that people like uh, Nigel Farage were telling the truth. And yeah. I listened for a long time. And then I came onto your programme and I listened to some more common sense. And then, I, you know, they, they were trying to smash democracy. They were. Whatever people think. Right. And if I thought that I could somehow fuck the bill to get you 20 million listeners on your programme every single day. Do you know what? This world would improve. Well, do you know, some guy just tweeted me earlier on today and said, oh, it's all very well talking about bias. What about you? You know, you're so far up Boris Johnson's backside, blah, 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 blah. I said, yeah, but you don't pay me to do that. Why don't you send me 154 quid? Then you can uh, criticise me because that's what we're paying the BBC in order for them to do what they do. Yes, Mike, but you you were a Remainer originally, and then you saw the light, and you saw what was happening along with 17... Well, I famously didn't actually vote in the referendum because I don't vote in these things. Um, but, I mean, I, would, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a Remainer, but if you'd asked me to vote at the time, I probably would have voted to stay in it. But, you know, having seen what people voted for, I then became a very um, enthusiastic Brexiteer because what I didn't want to see was people's general uh, demeanour and their... Uh, ability to get what they wanted by the ballot box not happening you did and the lbc guy o'brien i did honestly I'm excuse me i'm old. sorry you're not allowed to say that name on this show oh i'm sorry it's all right uh, well, sorry, i'll let you off well 50 50 times i'll listen <laughs> go on um, sorry what were you gonna say oh um i've forgotten now i'm sorry if i said anything wrong. no 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 i'm only joking richard for heaven's sake <laughs> carry on oh okay so i can i can say what i wanted you to can say. of course you can i listen to him right to him and listen to him and all i heard was a diatribe of 
Blairism, we, we cannot, we are going to stop it, I'm going to stop it. And yeah. he actually said, you stupid people, what do you think? In the end, I got, I nearly jumped out of traffic lights. <laughs> well, that's another thing he's failed at in his life, you know, you can put down losing the referendum and not being able to do anything about it. That just about sums him up, but this is a great, great show, I've been Brilliant. Laughing laughing today well done and I hope that you keep going get talk radio right up on the top there mike because they're all talking about you. listen we've been doubling our audience for the last two years when we do it again in another year's time we will be breathing down uh, your friend's neck uh, over there at uh, that station that we don't like to mention mid-morning with mike graham talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here, of course, until one o'clock when it's time for Ian Collins. And it is that time of the day, just after the news at 12.30, uh, for our homeschooling segment. Uh, And today, uh, we've done a couple of weather-related homeschooling sections, which have been fascinating. And we've got another one today uh, on hurricanes, basically. We're going to be speaking to Steve Brace, once again, Head of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society. Steve, welcome back. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me back again, Mike. Listen, we, we love you so much and we thought, well, he's the man that can tell us all about hurricanes. We don't really get too many of them, obviously, uh, in this country. Um, I suppose we could start with with, uh, with why that is. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm just looking out my window and, and there's, a sort of, there's a breeze in the back garden. I think we call it a gentle breeze, about eight, nine miles an hour right. in London. But we're quite lucky here. But, I mean, hurricanes, what are they? They're these massive spinning spirals. Um, of storms, of thunderstorms, clouds, and they're sometimes called t- uh, cyclones and typhoons. And luckily for us, they form in the well. Unfortunate right. for the people, they form in the tropics, um, and we're a bit too far north for those. So they form over the Atlantic, over the Pacific, and what creates them is rising low pressure air that's very moist, right. and you need a, a surface temperature of the, of the oceans of about 26.5 degrees C, a bit like a sort of warm room temperature, so mm. quite warm oceans. And as the air rises and takes all this moisture upwards, if you've got associated thunderstorm activities, where it starts to form these huge big storms. Uh, luckily, we are, well, the Americas only get about 12 hurricanes a year during the season, so right. they're common, but not every day. Right. But they can form these massive storm systems. They can be over 300 miles across. And we've all seen them from the satellite images. There's yeah, the satellite images are always incredible yeah. because you can actually see the, the, the eye of the hurricane, as it were, the eye of the storm, and everything yeah. else sort of revolving around it, right? That's absolutely right. And there's this, there's this, because the Earth's spinning as a globe, there's something called the Coriolis effect, yes, which spins things on the, the Earth's surface. So, yeah, we all know when the water goes down the plug, it spins in anti-clockwise, uh, anti-clockwise direction yes. in the northern hemisphere. Just like it's that, the other way around, uh, isn't it, in the southern hemisphere, though, right? Absolutely, yeah. So if you're looking at a hurricane in the, northern, in the northern hemisphere, the clouds will be spinning in anti-clockwise direction, like you say, around the eye of the storm, which mm. is ironically a calm area, but there's a wall of winds that can, once they've reached almost 75 miles an hour, they become a hurricane. Yes. And they can go much faster than that as well. Right. And they always accompany uh, rain, don't they? There's never a hurricane, or is there, without rain? No, I mean, they're big, big rainstorm systems. Mm. I mean, London gets about 30 inches of rain a year, give or take. Right. A hurricane can drop half of that in just 24 hours. So yeah. huge amounts of rainfall. And it's both the rain the winds, and also a storm surge, so driving the sea into the land right. area when they hit the coast that can cause a big damage. Yeah, I mean, I lived on the east coast of America for a while, and they would have quite regularly, you know, hurricane season, basically, where yeah. um, all... I think. I mean, even now, in, in I mean, if you're trying to go on holiday in, in the Caribbean, it goes technically from sort of the end of June until September, doesn't it? Um, which That's is why right, a lot yeah. of people don't go in the, in the summer months. But, but I remember... Um, we had one in New York once called Hurricane Gloria, uh, which actually hit Manhattan and hit. So it was supposed to hit Manhattan, and we were evicted out of our, our office building at the time. And people were taping up windows and all sorts um, because they feared that for the first time it would hit Manhattan. In fact, it didn't. It came up sort of the East Coast and and ended up hitting sort of Central Long Island um, okay. and did quite a lot of damage. But but you're much more aware when you live in a country like that that these things are really deadly and you really have to take advantage of the advice from the people. Like, if they evacuate Florida, you've got to get out. 
Well, we've all seen those pictures on the TV when there's evacuation and you see the queues of traffic moving, yes. moving out of Florida. And, um, you know, I think luckily we don't live with them in, here in the UK. But as you say, you know, you've experienced them in the States. Mm. They're very, very present danger across the Caribbean, Central America yeah. and the sort of southern eastbourne, uh, east border of the States as well. Right, exactly. And they always tend to form out to sea. I mean, are there, are there cases of hurricanes which don't move towards the land and which are always just they somehow just stay out at sea? They, I mean, they, uh, to be a hurricane, to be a cyclone, they have to form o- over the ocean because that's where they drive their energy from. Right. And ironically, as they hit the land, they lose, I mean, they still cause tremendous amount of damage, but they lose the energy because yes. they can't suck in all, all the sort of stuff from beneath them. So not all hurricanes will, will um, actually hit land in, in the Americas. And mm. I know that the weather forecasters in the States have got their eye on something called Storm Fay at the moment. It's about 100 miles off, off the Maryland coast. Okay. Um, it's not a hurricane. But they're keeping an eye on it just to see if it develops further. But it may not actually right. hit landfall at all. And if you're flying, for example, you're presumably, if you're flying transatlantic at the moment, and not that many people are, but if you were, yeah. you fly above them, I presume. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I imagine they're, they're sort of organiser reach round as well. Right. Now, we've only just started naming storms relatively recently in this country. Why was that decision taken? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea, the, the UK Met Office, I think the idea behind this, and uh, it started in two, just five years ago, 2015, right. was to make people more aware of our winter storms. These aren't hurricanes, but our winter storms. Mm. And I suppose if we have a name associated with something, it's easier to follow on TV and social media and so on. Yeah. And we just become more aware. Now, our storms, they don't have to get up to hurricane strength. Once they've got wind speeds of about 50 miles an hour, yeah. and they're either an amber or red warning, they get a name. Um, and they have a series of names that get changed each year. So we're, we're up to Storm Dennis so far. That was for people who remember him. He was back in February. The next one we might get will be Storm Ellen. And if we run right, yeah, actually, year, you're, you're reminding yeah. me we haven't really had one in a while. No, it's been uh, too nice weather. Yeah, that's a bad thing for uh, for storm watchers. But if we get to the end of the year and um, get to the right. Uh, the last name would be Storm Willow um, here in the UK. I have to say, and this is no uh, slight on anybody in particular, but the storm names that we seem to have sound rather kind of benign. They don't sound terribly dangerous. Whereas in America, you know, you get, I mean, even Hurricane Gloria sort of sounds worse. But Storm Dennis sort of doesn't really sound bad somehow. Maybe. There was a Hurricane Michael a couple of years ago. Was there? Uh, that was a, a big old one. That was a Category 5 hurricane. Right. Um, and uh, your namesake created £25 billion worth of damage. Excellent. So, uh, <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like my dinner last night. But, I mean, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, why do they call them typhoons in the sort of southeastern Asia part of the world and in Australia? I think it's just a naming convention. I mean, they're all basically tropical cyclones. They form in the same way out in the, in the, in the mid-oceans. Uh, they're formed through the same processes. We just have a slightly different naming convention across. But they're all, they're all the same thing. They spin different ways depending on whether you're you know, north or south of the equator, but they can likewise create similar levels of damage. Okay. And, I mean, can you delineate which years are maybe worse than others if you're, you know, uh, if, if you're studying hurricanes and hurricane season? I mean, it, does it change from year to year or is it pretty much the same? I think I think there's been some suggestions that there's been slightly more hurricanes in latter years. I think the thing that's really important with weather and climate records is we don't just look at one event and say everything's changed. So right. as I'm sure many of your listeners will be aware, you know, weather's what we get on a day-to-day basis, but climate's what we expect. And uh, the, the sort of convention with climate is it's a 30-year rolling average, so it moves forwards every few years. Right. And it's only by taking those averages you can start really making a difference between one year and the next. No, OK. Well, fascinating as ever. Uh, very, very interesting information. Steve Brace, Head of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society. Thanks for joining us, Steve, once more. I'm sure we'll have you back uh, with some more weather-related learning. Uh, if you're homeschooling, uh, good luck to you. Keep it up because uh, a lot of kids now are thinking, oh, we're nearly at the old uh, summer term now, so we can give up doing anything uh, for another three months. Well, keep them busy, keep them learning, keep them doing stuff, because it's very important that when they go back finally to school in September, they've actually not forgotten what it's like to have some kind of discipline around the day and to have something that they're actually reading or doing academically every single day. Give them the weekend off, that's fine. But keep them doing stuff, because I think that's quite important. This is Talk Radio. Coming up, 
It's time for the Perrier Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday. It's 12.45. It's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, you see, Amy is back in the, uh, the control room there. Mark's not in. She's not doing it. She's not doing the, uh, you know, the old arm yeah. waving. I think she didn't get the memo. Yeah, I must have missed it. Never mind. Uh, okay. We'll let you off. Uh, welcome uh, once more to uh, the Independent Republican Mike Graham and welcome to Martin Malagon and the Perry Rewards. Thank you very much. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Up to anything last night? Yeah, I went out for dinner. Did you? Yeah, you were there. <laughs> I know you might not remember much of it, but um, it was a very, very, very nice uh, outing. Although... Strangely, um, whenever I go to Kensington, it rains. I don't yes. know what that means. Mm. Every time I like... go there, it rains. Do you go there often? No. Mm. For, for the last three times, I yes. think I would say. The last time I was in Kensington, I went for a, 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 a sort of Bangladeshi Caterers Association event nice. at a hotel with Andre Walker <coughs> and a few other people. Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> And they forgot to feed us, right? They made so many speeches. There was a lot of dancing, speeches. It got to about 10 o'clock. I'm like, is there going to be any food at any point? And f- what's wrong with you? And eventually, right? <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. We may have to. I may have to talk for a while uh, while Martin tries to uh, regain her composure. That's all right. It's not a problem. Anyway, so um, they eventually started bringing the food out about 10 o'clock. And I was working the next morning. So I had to go. Before they brought the main course. So I managed to have some, like, sort of chicken um, and a bit of bread, and that was about it. Do you feel like you can carry on? <laughs> I am Would you like some water? No, fine, I'm fine. Right. I am so sorry. I, just, That's okay. I knew this. I knew this story. I told you last night when we walked past the hotel. <laughs> I know, and any other time that you went and did that and all that. Right. So, sorry, my apologies. I, I seem to be crying. Mm. Listen, it's fine. We had we also were hosted by James Chiaverini, yes. who we've had on the show. What a magnificent uh, man, and what a great host. And when I say he hosted us, I don't mean he gave us it for free. Because oh, I no, said no, to no. him, I, said, I, don't, I don't want you to do that. Mm-hmm. But he was very generous with the wine. Yeah. He bought us a drink. We had a Negroni first off. Yes. Uh, which was lovely. He sorted some fantastic starters oh, as well. Goodness, oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, they were good. They were so, they were so good. Yeah. And Kevin and O'Sullivan he, and his wife were there. Yes, they were. They enjoyed it as well. Yes. It was, um, it was a good night. It was a really good it night. It was a very, very good night. Yes. I feel a bit fragile this morning. Well, I don't blame I'm you. I'm not going to lie. You, um, you actually <laughs> bailed out slightly earlier than I did. Yes. So I should technically feel worse than you, but actually mm. I don't. Well, I bet I've been doing this a long time. I was going to say you're older than me, so well, you I know, certainly you've, am. You've and also, also I, I have. Yeah, well, this is the trouble. You know, mm. I'm a very expensive date because I drink an awful <laughs> lot, um, and uh, you know. Well, as long as you split the bill. Exactly, that's what we did. We did yes. that. Not for you though, because Not, you were my guest. Yes, and thank that's you so much. Very uh, much what we you. do here in the Independent <laughs> Republic. And so we must go back because he's got another restaurant which is slightly less expensive, Mm -hmm. more kind of a pizza type um, vibe, which also looked very good. And if the food's anything like the other place, oh my god, the food's incredible. James recommended my main course, which was veal. You had a veal chop, yes, which the like of which I've never seen. It was bigger than my face. It was literally bigger than your face. It was ridiculous. And you've got half of it still in the fridge. I've got half of it still in the fridge, um, which I'll put in the oven later. Yes, I'll put in the oven. What will you eat it with? Do you think? I don't know. Because he had some nice, uh, the green beans were nice last Mm -hmm. night. Um, I would have a few green beans, maybe some sauteed potatoes, possibly. Oh, nice. Nice. I would try that. I might do that. All right. Anyway. Anyway, let's get on with it. We're here to do the uh, Parry Awards. Yes. Uh, This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Yes. Talk Radio and choose that favourite moment. Mm. And as it's tradition, the first Parry goes to you, Mike, and it's the classic, oops, Mike forgot how to speak again. (laughs) Well, I thought she did actually, because the the, the thunder is as a, as a uh, yeah, I can't speak, <laughs> <laughs> and that was even before we went out for dinner. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. This was on Monday, so you know. <laughs> uh, call out Francis in London wins the classic wrong namer of the week. Uh, let's take some calls and find out. Uh, Francis is in London. Hello, Francis. Hello, Ian. You okay? Uh, it's Mike, actually. <laughs> oh, Mike. Sorry. Oh, Do you think you thought I was Ian Collins? Bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've never had that before. I've had them calling me by the by their own name. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Or you know, hello, uh, hello, but, Joe. Hello, Joe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but never Ian. I've never no. been mistaken for Ian Collins. I'm not sure Ian would be that pleased about that. Well, there are worse things in life. I think it's true. 
you know, I think you should be flattered if anything. Yes, okay, all right, know. I'll take that. Maybe you should both be flattered, I yes, don't know. maybe. I don't know. Conservative MP Chris Clarkson joined us earlier in the week to talk about Rishi Sunak's mini-budget, and you both share a parry for the metaphor of the week. Yes. Um, presumably at some point he's going to have to turn that tap off and start to become slightly less popular. Well, I don't think it's a case of turning the tap off. I think it's maybe changing the speed of the tap and turning it from hot to cold. Um, <laughs> if you just torture the metaphor to death. Um, the, well, the is that when you start hosing that... people down with the cold showers? <laughs> <laughs> that was ridiculous. I'd forgotten about that. That was very silly. Yeah, it really is. That's and when you take things too far. Yes, but, you know, I was pleased. I was like, oh, yes, right, right it down do. for Friday. Yep. That will do, you know. So I'm always thankful for this, as I'm always also thankful for the Megan impression of the week. Yes. This is a comfortable, uncomfortable. I can't remember if it's comfortable or not comfortable. <laughs> Bless her. Yeah. She must be having a terrible time. Well, it's not easy when you've got an unpopular baby. Mm. You know, poor old Archie. You know, no wonder he's got any friends. Do you think it's something to do with them? Well, maybe it's because people don't want to come around and see them. I guess so. Right. But also, like, I don't know what the deal is with like play dates in Hollywood where they are. Malibu is that Malibu where they well, are? Well, no, they're in no. they're in Hollywood. Yeah, they're in Hollywood. Is, yeah. They're near Beverly Hills. Actually, it's not far from Malibu, but it's. So, I assume that they can only have playdates with other famous children. Yes. You know what? Also, mm. as as uh, Charlie Ray was pointing out, she wouldn't be the most famous mother in Beverly Hills. No, of course not. And that's what she wouldn't like. Ah. You know, so she's not the, you know, the star of the show. Yeah. You know. Bless her. I feel sorry for her. It must be really hard. Yeah. 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 Don't, but you nah. <laughs> and you know, uh, Mike. Just as earlier, we played a clip in which you couldn't get your words out. Mm. Um, now we go for exactly the opposite. Uh, well done, you. Um, I, I wrote this with a very <laughs> slow brain. Did you? Yes. Right. And uh, I'm doing a Cornelius now. Remember Cornelius? He I'm used to write like... a script and then completely stumble over reading. Yes. So, so this is my trivia to there Cornelius. Um, well done. I name you the master of synonyms of the week. Ooh. You know, I mean, it really is quite mad, isn't it? Quite ridiculous and crazy. Bonkers, even. I'm trying to think of some other words that you're not supposed to say uh, before saying them, of course. Yeah, the last bit was a bit weird. Yeah. Right. I always appreciate when you think what you're going to say before you say it. That's always a good idea when you're on the radio. Yes, exactly. You know, it it makes me breathe easy. Thoughtless speech is dangerous. Can be dangerous. Yeah, but say we, the wrong thing. Yeah, but we don't. We thankfully we don't do that. No, very some, rarely. Some other people. Other do. people can. Yes, but not me. Not no, us. No, absolutely not. No. Travel guru Simon Calder. Yes. Um, he wins a parry for the doppelganger rejection <coughs> of the week. There's no verification between. Uh, I, I could say my name's Mike Graham. Um, I live at uh, Talk Towers. Be careful. And nobody would actually <laughs> check that, although. Um, uh, but yeah, they'd yeah. say, but you can't they, possibly they be Mike Graham they, because they'll be watching me on YouTube going, look, he's on there. You know, that can't be you. You can't be uh, him. Okay. <laughs> I would pick right. somebody else. Okay. You know, James Whale, okay. maybe. Okay. You look a bit more like him anyway. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what okay, about... So, so no, what I, I won't try that. That would be very wrong. Go that would be. Yes, because in the end he realised actually you shouldn't be advising people to give false names. Correct. That's not a good Correct. idea. So you that, must that, not do that. That's why I let the clip run till the end as well. Well done. Just to clarify that... Because, uh, yeah, responsible broadcasting. Yes, banter, yes. Uh, doing illegal things, no. No, definitely. <laughs> you know? and, that's where we draw the line. And that's where we draw the line, yes, the legal line. This is how we do it. Yes. Um, here's another para for you, Mike. Congratulations, it's the clarification of the week. So if you're going to be outdoors, you might as well cook outdoors. Tipsy trout. Simple recipe. Uh, how to First you have to catch the trout. That could be tough. How about that? Anyway, uh, we'll be doing all that a bit later on. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. I suppose I'll have to get a fishing rod first. I haven't got one of those. I'm not much of a fisherman, it has to be said. <laughs> I suppose if I was much of a fisherman, I would have a fishing rod. I guess so. Although you can fish by many different methods, you know. You can fish with a net, can't you? You can fish with a net, a um, net. Uh, or somebody else that you want to take with you. Or <laughs> you could fish with um, uh, a rope as well. Uh, I once you went do, fishing. Really? Yeah. And you How can do you just. Do that? Well, it's like a piece of fishing line that you just drop it off yeah. the back of the boat. This is in the okay. sea. Yeah. And then you, 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 when, when the fish bites the uh, whatever the hook is, yeah. uh, it's not actually attached to a rod. You just pull it in by hand. Oh. But you need gloves. Otherwise, you yeah. hurt yourself. And that must be harder as well. It can it be. Must be I once caught a barracuda, oh. which is a very small fish but very strong. Oh. And I thought I'd—I'd I'd literally thought I'd got some kind of whale 
or something because it was really well. really heavy, right? And yeah. normally, if you get a small fish, you, you you can pull it in quite easily. This thing was really fighting though. Yeah. When we got it into the boat, it had big teeth. Oy. You know, it was amazing. Barracuda. You can't really eat them either. No, they're not taste. They don't taste very nice. Oh gosh. So, uh, but I was quite proud of doing it. Yeah, well done. And then um, it's quite cruel at times though because yeah. um, if you're with a proper fisherman. And you bring the fish into the boat, they mm-hmm. hit it with with something. Oh gosh! To kill it, basically, to like, stun it. You like, know? It's not very nice. Not very nice. No, it's um, a bit like the way that James was explaining the pig um, oh, yeah. that was hung for three years or something uh, to yeah. Henrietta, who was of course vegetarian, a vegetarian, yeah. who didn't really want to hear the actual detail. That was not pretty. No. Um, yesterday, very quickly, the last yes. two, we crossed live to San Diego to speak to La Donna Holmby, yes. and she provided the correction of the week. Now, I have to say, I don't often see things on social media about San Diego, um, but I did see something remarkable uh, from July the 4th when apparently all the fireworks for the firework display were set off all at once. Uh, well, yeah, that, so that happened a few years ago. Oh, uh, did it? <laughs> Definitely right up to speed oops, on that. Well, oops. I hadn't seen it. I know. Uh, th- and, and somebody posted right. it July the 4th, so I just yeah. assumed it was live. Listen, you know? it still happened yeah, it at did. some point in time. And she was there. Exactly. Uh, and finally, MasterChef host uh, Greg Wallace wins a parry for the hush comment of the week. I know, Kev. You know Kev he's, he's Mr. Psychopath, isn't he? That's it. He wrote the book on psychopath. He did. He said right, I was well, one, he... by the way. You can tell him thanks a lot for that. He's right. It doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. Not with that tie. <laughs> Very harsh. I don't know why he didn't like the tie. I don't know. It's quite either. a nice tie. Yeah. Hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, thank you so much for bearing with me today. <laughs> thank you very much. Very well done for getting through very it. Very well it's done. It's not always easy. No, no. Um, but uh, wasn't easy you today. have to uh, say the end bit now, don't you? Yes, which I'm going to do. And then we're going to do some magic and I'm going to disappear. And okay. someone else Brilliant. is going to appear in this chair. All right. So that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.